The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A warm welcome to Squawkbox, live from Davos. I'm Steve Sedgwick. And I'm Jeff Cutmore. And these are your headlines. The Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez tells CNBC the war in Ukraine is threatening the European recovery, but says fundamentals are strong and the bloc should remain united. We uh, consider what happened uh, with the pandemic and the economic response that we gave as Europe. I think this is the lesson that we have to take into account when we face the terrible consequences of the, of the war in Ukraine. The outlook for the global economy is darkening. The IMF boss warns of increased challenges, while the CEO of Citi tells me a downturn in Europe is certain as they speak to CNBC on a main stage panel at the World Economic Forum. There are countries that are so severely hit by spillover of events like Sri Lanka or Lebanon or, or Egypt, where the pain is felt, they are in a more difficult place. Are you pretty much convinced then that Europe will experience a recession? Yes. Let's take this to the Bank of I France governor. Wrong, and I hope I'm wrong. ECB council member Francois Villeroy de Gallo doubling down on President Christine Lagarde's interest rate guidance, telling me hikes in July and September are all but agreed. Frankly, if you look at President Lagarde's statements this morning, the deal is probably done because there is a growing consensus. Well, interesting session overnight. Bank stocks led a rebound on Wall Street, but a profit warning from social media group Snap actually cut the equity rally pretty short after hours, with tech giants leading the Nasdaq futures lower. And I'm Juliana Tattlebaum. Also coming up on the show, the U.S. deepens its commitment to the Indo-Pacific as the Quad Nations unveil a new satellite-based maritime initiative to counter China. How you doing? Uh, good, good. Great day, wasn't yeah. it? Well, I think we survived day one. <laughs> Woof. Yeah. Get through to day two, and then yeah. we can almost see uh, the, the, the runoff here. But it was it was a brilliant day. I loved your work. Um, Thank you. We both had a long day, and there was some very, yes, very fruitful discussions. I thoroughly enjoyed all my discussions yes. yesterday. Yeah, and you had a terrific conversation late into the day with we the did. Uh, Spanish leader. Yeah, Karen and I um, caught up with the Spanish Prime Minister, Pedro Sanchez. He was really very interesting, actually, and he was talking about his optimism uh, for the recovery, uh, uh, despite, of course, the impact uh, of the war in Ukraine. Uh, We caught up with him here at the sidelines of the World Economic Forum in Davos and asked about his outlook for growth, as well as the impact of a potential interest rate hike later this summer. Threatening all the European uh, economy and also the world economy. But I believe that the fundamentals of the Spanish economy are quite strong. We're growing uh, this first quarter of the year by 6.4% uh, year on year. Uh, we're expecting to grow uh, at uh, 4.3% uh, for the 2022. 
and uh, also the employment uh, uh, rate is uh, is quite uh, impressive. We we have uh, 20 million people already working in Spain, which is a figure that we didn't witness for a long uh, period of time in, in our country. And actually with the agenda of reforms that we are delivering and also the uh, recovery plan and the European funds, we are ready to, um, first of all, to amortiguate all the uh, economic consequences of this terrible war, but actually uh, to uh, modernize our economy and to increase our competitiveness and, and productivity. So uh, nevertheless, we are of course, uh, suffering these uh, terrible consequences of the of the war, we are um, facing a very positive and optimist and, uh, and with confidence uh, the near future for the Spanish economy. Why you sound somewhat upbeat? Let me ask you more broadly then around monetary policy, because we had very explicit language from the ECB's Christian Lagarde. Christine Lagarde. She was talking about the potential for July that is now on the table, and then a follow-up rate hike in September. If we talk about Spain more broadly, you've extended our debt maturities on loans. You've used the benefit of low interest rates and access to credit, debt to income is fairly high when we talk about households as well across Spain. What is the threat, particularly for your country, as interest rates go up? Well, I would say that uh, it is indeed very important to have um, um, an alignment between the monetary policy and the fiscal policy in the European Union. So if we uh, consider what happened uh, with the pandemic and the economic response that we gave as Europe I think this is the lesson that we have to take into account when we face the terrible consequences of the of the war in Ukraine. So that is why I think it's important to have, you know, this uh, of course ECB monetary policy aligned with the fiscal policy. And for that, public investment, European funds, modernization of our economy, going for a greener and digital economy in Europe and especially in Spain is crucial. And uh, I would say that, uh, that of course, uh, our uh, forecast uh, for the year 2025 is to have a um, public deficit below 3% and uh, a public uh, debt below 110%. So we are committed with fiscal consolidation, but nevertheless, we, we need to... Uh, um, to engage not only public investment but also private investment on the modernization of our economy. We, we're going definitely to a greener economy in Spain and that is why we are uh, engaging 40% of uh, the total amount of the European uh, funds to the green economy, uh, to the uh, green transition, so to say. And yet, sir, the real economy, real incomes, uh, corporate profits, the amount of money which is available to invest is being sived by this huge burst of inflation. Uh, and just to add to Karen's point, Spanish debt, which was priced at zero not so long ago, is now over 2%, a long way from where we were at the height of the crisis in 2009 to 2012, but even so, rising aggressively. Could that dent the ability of individuals, of corporations, of the Spanish state to spend money? Well, we're not, not expecting that, uh, really. I think that uh, these are exogenous, uh, I would say, factors, uh, such as uh, a war in Ukraine and the consequences in the European e economy. But we are engaged with the fiscal consolidation. We are engaged with a very strong um, um, uh, reform agenda, um, pension reforms, labor reform, uh, educational and vocational training, training reform, climate change, uh, uh, and uh, uh, all this energetic transition 
uh, in, in, in Spain uh, towards this uh, greener, uh, I would say, uh, energy system. Um, so, you know, we're very engaged with this um, uh, agenda uh, of reforms, uh, structural reforms, and uh, also uh, um, uh, all together with these uh, uh, public investments uh, uh, that are coming from the European Union funds, which uh, will um, give us uh, the opportunity to improve our competitiveness and productivity. The Spanish Prime Minister there talking to uh, Stephen Caron. Well, top policymakers and financial leaders gathering at the World Economic Forum have told CNBC that a recession in some parts of the world is likely this year. Uh, speaking to me here on the main stage in the Congress Centre on a panel about the global economic outlook, we had the Managing Director of the IMF, Kristalina Gorgieva, the Bank of France, Governor Francois uh, Villeroy de Gallo, the CEO of City, Jane Fraser, and the co-founder of Carlisle, David Rubenstein, and they agreed that there are serious challenges in the macro environment. A little bit like the weather here in Davos, the horizon has darkened. Why has it darkened? Well, when we did our projections, the war was already ongoing. Now we see the consequences going far and fast. In addition to that, tightening of financial conditions, dollar appreciation, and China slowing down. James' prediction, unfortunately, has materialized. So we are looking down this uh, 2022. It is going to be a tough year. We have commodity price shock in many countries. And the particular shock I want to bring your attention to is food price shock. Over the last week, because of that sense that maybe the economy is getting into tougher waters, oil price went down. But food price continues to go up, 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 up. Why? We can shrink the use of petrol when growth slows down, but we have to eat every day. And the anxiety around access to food at a reasonable price globally is hitting the roof. And I don't want to be uh, too negative at the start, but the climate crisis has gone nowhere. The digital money has hit a little uh, rough spot. Ex we expected that and it happened. Nonetheless, think of numbers. 3.6 is our prediction. That is a long way from 3.6 to global recession. What we may see is recession in some countries that are weak to begin with. They haven't recovered from the COVID-induced crisis. They are highly dependent on imports from Russia of energy or imports of uh, food, and uh, they have somewhat weaker uh, environment already. So but we have not seen that yet. So you, you've laid out, I think, very clearly for us some of the, some of the ongoing challenges. David, why, why do you feel more confident that recession can be escaped? And is that only for the United States? Well, when I worked in the White House under President Carter, uh, the inflation advisor, Fred Kahn, 
uh, said that he thought we were heading into a recession right before the 1980 presidential election. And President Carter called him into the Oval Office and said, look, I'm running for re-election. Don't use the R word. It scares people. So Fred Kahn said, what am I supposed to do? I'm an honest man. So he said, just don't use the R word. Subsequently, Fred Kahn said he thought we were heading into a banana. And he used the word banana because he realized reporters wouldn't put a headline that said, Fred Kahn thinks we're heading into a banana. So I'm very <laughs> reluctant to use the word recession. But let me just say that we're, we're not in a banana yet. But I think the signs are not as favorable as I would like, uh, only because the war in Russia and Ukraine is not any like, likely to end soon. If the war ended tomorrow, mm -hmm. I think the economy would bounce back. But since it's not likely to end tomorrow, I suspect that will be the precipitating factor, given all the food chain and energy problems that, are, that come about because of it. So I think, I don't want to say we're in a banana, but I would say a banana may not be that far away from where we are today, unless the war ends very quickly. <laughs> it's such an important question, I think. We should let every panelist have a go at this. Jane, how do you feel about the outlook from here? Yeah, I, I think, David, to your point about the R word, there are three R words right now. It's Russia, it's recession, and it's rates. And it depends where in the world which one is more prevalent. So in the States, it's much more about rates because there's more resiliency in the economy, in the labor market, in the consumer. The consumer is sitting there on $3.4 trillion of deposits coming into COVID, they were sitting on a trillion. So there's some buffer there. To be seen if it's used wisely or not, the jury will be out on that. Uh, I think much more concerning for Europe that is right in the middle of the storms from supply chains, from energy crisis, and, and obviously just the proximity to the, some of the atrocities that are occurring uh, in Ukraine. Um, when you go elsewhere in the world, I'm just back from, uh, from being in Asia and in the Middle East, and it was wonderful to see those countries again in person. Um, they're different than they were uh, coming out of the, uh, going into COVID when they come out of COVID. They are stronger. They're coming out of uh, the lockdowns. There's some more sense of optimism there. And I think even China is seeing this as an event that's occurring rather than a long-term trend. They'll no doubt have some uh, packages that they'll come to stimulate the economy. Food, to the managing director's point, is I think the big worry here because that could be the wild card. When people are hungry around the world and there's going to be one and a half billion hungry people without necessarily either the means nor the access to food, particularly in Africa but not only, that is a problem. We'll come back to the policy response and how we can address that because clearly there is going to be a difference in how people experience a dramatic economic slowdown. I, I just wanted to be very clear though because you mentioned Europe in your answer. Are you pretty much convinced then that Europe will experience a recession? Yes. No. Let's take this to the Bank of I France governor. Wrong. And I hope I'm wrong. Well, a, a very clear view there about whether Europe is heading into recession. I also asked the Bank of France governor, Francois Villeroy de Gallo, whether Europe is going into recession, in his opinion, and if two interest rate hikes in the third quarter are a done deal as the ECB focuses on fighting inflation. The council member disagreed uh, with the US bank boss. Uh Activity is obviously less buoyant than the end of last year. We had a growth in the URA of more than 5%, 7% in France, so it was really record high. 
but it's resilient. If you look at German I4 this morning or at Banque de France monthly surveys, and the IMF forecast for the euro area this year was 2.7%. We'll see where we are, but it's still significantly positive. Uh, by the way, services are in better shape than industry, so it's an opposite image if you compare to COVID. So the main problem, at least in the short run, is inflation, without any doubt. Uh, and inflation in the euro area is not only higher, even is slightly less high than in the US, but 7.4%. But it's also broader, and this is probably the main issue. Core inflation is 3.4%. And this is why we have to normalize monetary policy, without any doubt. It's what President Christine Lagarde said very clearly this morning. Uh, there is an increase in consensus in our governing council about the start of the journey. Let me say one word about our aim at the end of the journey, at least in two years, 24. We will bring inflation back towards 2%. And this is not only in all our forecasts. Look at all forecasts, including from the IMF. But it's our commitment. Uh, and we, we will do it through normalization of monetary policy and not tightening. I will perhaps elaborate on that. It's a normalization. The question of growth will come back, but I would play down the idea of a short-term trade-off between inflation and growth. In the short run, our priority is clearly, as you reminded, fighting inflation, so, and we will do it. So, so Governor, very clear, um, very clear answer. Uh, can you be equally clear with this answer? Um, are rate hikes in uh, July and August now a done deal? In August, we have no meeting, Jeff. September? <laughs> it was well, you good, can have an emergency meeting at any point. Side. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but uh, do you want me to elaborate? Uh, yeah. No. July and uh, no. September. Then. Perhaps a general consideration. Uh, attention is focusing very much on the short term. Mm -hmm. When will we precisely end net asset purchases? When will we have the first rate hike? All of this is important, but frankly, if you look at President Lagarde's statement this morning, the deal is probably done because there is a growing consensus. I think that the next steps of the journey are now more important. I made a speech two weeks ago about a possible roadmap going towards neutral rate and, yes, achieving 2% in 2024. I wouldn't over-focus on what will precisely happen in July, September, etc. Now, if you didn't see the uh, panel, I know you did because you were Seen up it here. many times but, but now. <laughs> right at the beginning, um, I asked the audience uh, to give us a vote or, or, as to whether they felt that there would be a recession yeah, this year. And about 50% of the room thought that was quite likely. So actually, the audience was more pessimistic, I would say, than the panel. Mm. Um, the question I suppose you've got to ask yourself is actually, will a recession matter as David uh, Rubenstein was pointing out, recessions used to happen fairly regularly as part of the business cycle, and it was part of a cleaning out process that took place. But central banks over the years have tried to flatten out the possibility of recessions using interest rate 
strategies. And, and clearly, we are due one at this point, it would seem, based on what the panel would have, would, were saying. But of course, a lot of them really don't want to put their name to that comment. No, but there's a problem here with recessions potentially going forward, potentially some of the recessions we've had previously. And the mm. fact is that, that people haven't got the ability or do not seem to want to take the pain, whether it's in valuations in the <laughs> markets, whether it's on actually the vast amount of debt buildup. And I keep hearing how the fantastic US households, and I heard it on your panel again, mm. have so much cash built up and have so much resilience, but they also have $5.36 gasoline. They also have uh, 5.3% 30-year mortgage rates as well. They also have credit card bills, which are picking up because more and more of their expenses are being put on credit cards than we've seen in the last couple of years as well. So if the US household is so resilient compared to, say, other households around the world, why are those, certainly the latter factor, why is that happening? Surely if they've got such great balance sheets, uh, they shouldn't be using their, their credit quite as much as well. The other thing is, is about resilience of sovereign banks and resilience of markets as well. And I'll just say this very briefly as well. The fact is, they clearly don't seem so resilient. Why aren't they so resilient? That's because they're terrified about even small incremental rises in their their refinancing terms. Uh, And as far as markets are concerned, and I'll keep saying this, despite people like David Rubenstein and others who, let's be honest about it, they are paid to be invested in the market. They are paid to get people in at certain levels as well. Mm. I'm not paid to do any of that kind of stuff as well. The fact of the matter is markets compared to Cape valuations look expensive still. Yeah, Uh, something has changed. I mean, they, they did a survey of 50 economists here at the World Economic Forum, and the language is different. The policy choices used to be presented as a win-win. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll pitch for this tax policy. That will be good for the corporates. That will be good for government revenues. That will be good for those who need help in society. That language, these economists argue, is now changing. This is not a win-win policy outlook. This is a policy outlook where there will be a loser. Now, the question is, who is going to be that loser? Are corporate taxes going up? Does that mean that shareholders are going to get less return? Are corporate taxes going down to encourage companies to come to countries? That way there's less tax revenue. That way there's less support for those who will be hurt by this recession. I think very interesting that the messaging now seems to be shifting here. And the question is, the political leaders have to make a political choice about who ultimately is going to have to take the pain going forward. And I just point out, I'm on a tax panel um, a little later this morning. And in the tax panel, I think that's going to be one of the key questions. Who is ultimately going to take the pain? Will it be consumers? Will it be the general public? Will it be shareholders? Will it be corporations? Well, guess what? Will it be the billionaires? Guess what? Well, well, I don't know about the billionaires. I'll put that, I'll park that aside from the next comment. But we're all paying more tax now, certainly in the United Kingdom, certainly uh, around the world if you're a corporate, because we had something called BEPS as well, which is based rose in a profit share. And we also had a global tax deal as well. So uh, whether that's going to be enacted properly uh, around the world with recessionary indicators uh, building up, who knows? Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Juliana, a fascinating session, but a fascinating aftermarket session as well. I think that really uh, is a very interesting juxtaposed two different moves. 
Definitely, Steve, and it's right on track with what we've seen over the last several weeks, uh, an incredible amount of volatility. As for the regular hour trade yesterday, it was a strong session. All three of the majors ended higher after last week's steep sell-off. The Dow Jones advanced nearly 2%. The S&P 500 saw every one of its sectors rally yesterday, ultimately leading the index 1.9% higher. The tech-heavy Nasdaq also performed well, gaining about 1.6%. It was the banks that were the big winners yesterday, though, and that was led by gains in JP Morgan, the um, CEO, Jamie Dimon, spoke during a presentation yesterday and effectively said that the bank could hit its key 17% returns target earlier than expected. The bank should benefit from loan growth and higher interest rates. And that news lifted the broader banking sector as well. Uh, we're going to get to the latest trade in the U.S. in just a moment. But first, let's look at the Asian markets and how they're trading overnight. It's been a negative session for Asian markets, negative momentum. The Hang Seng dropping about 1.5%. The Shanghai Composite on the mainland dropping about one and a quarter percent. Over in Japan, the Nikkei 225 also seeing some selling pressure down about 0.8 percent. Let's get on to U.S. futures. As Steve mentioned, we are already seeing those gains return. Investors potentially taking profit on the gains that we saw yesterday. All three of the majors are pointing lower for the start of trade today. The Dow Jones looking at a triple digit pullback, nearly 200 points or so. The Nasdaq as well. And the S&P 500 looking at about a 40 point drop at the open at this stage. Guys, we'll hand it back over to you in Davos. Terrific. Thank you so much for that. Well, let's uh, quickly talk about a couple of tech stories here and then we'll get to Maurice Levy. Uh, Snap sank more than 30% in extended trade after the CEO, Evan Spiegel, warned employees the company will miss its revenue and adjusted earnings targets for the quarter and slow down on hiring new staff. The news hit confidence in services which rely on advertising with Twitter and Meta also falling after hours. Pinterest also saw red plunging nearly 12%. I may have missed something, but I thought they only made those targets back in April. Uh, here we go. Shares in Zoom are up almost 5% in extended trade, down from a 16% surge after the bell on the back of an increased profit outlook thanks to strong demand from big business clients. The video communications company reported a 31% jump in revenue from enterprise customers and a 37% increase in operating margin in the first quarter. Right, we've kept him waiting way too long. Well, Ace Levy is with us now. Uh, Jim of Publicis Group. Apologies about the delay. We just had the mere matter of Jeff's panel and uh, a bit of Pedro Sanchez as well. So you, you, it was for good reason we kept you waiting, Morris. Morris, what are you seeing at the moment? You have one of the most seasoned eyes on the global economy and the corporate situation. I sense incredible nerves, despite the fact there are indicators saying the economy is still doing very well, including the job situation, the wages situation. Elsewhere, I see recessionary concerns abounding. You said it all. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you see it all because uh, there is uh, the, the difference between what we are experiencing in the field where uh, consumers are consuming, uh, CEOs are investing, companies are moving ahead, and at the same time we are hearing the noise of uh, future recession, uh, inflation, Obviously, there is a war uh, which, is, which has an impact, which is huge uh, on oil price and gas and uh, wheat and all food areas. So there, there is this uh, uh, dichotomy between the real economy and what may be the prospect of what will be coming. For the time being, in all the conversation we have with our clients, we don't see the signs of a future recession, but it's uh, 
uh, as you know, uh, something which is uh, uh, controlled uh, very tightly and uh, people are acting uh, on uh, a day-by-day -day basis and they are changing their plan as soon as there is uh, uh, signs of uh, recession or signs of very high inflation. For the time being, it looks like the situation is pretty well controlled. Mm. You are a great barometer of the advertising industry. You always have been for corporate spending as well. Are they still look? I mean, I'm looking at your strong start to 2022, a 10.5% organic growth figure as well. I mean, that is a huge figure compared to the historic levels, especially compared to the times when Publicis was really struggling to get any growth as well. So is that set to continue or do you think that's going to abate? When you look at uh, not only our numbers, but the numbers of uh, all our competitors, mm -hmm. you see that we are all between 9 and 11%. Uh, and uh, the prospects for the time being are pretty good. And when you look at uh, the uh, orders for TV, for uh, Internet, uh, it, it is still pretty crowded. So we, we don't see immediate signs. But as I said, things may change overnight. Yeah. For the time being, we are quite cautious, but th the business is strong. I would say stronger than in the last few years, not only for us, but for the whole industry. And um, we, we feel that the situation is not going to change uh, uh, overnight. We believe that uh, Q2 will be good for the industry. Uh, and we believe that uh, for the time being, uh, we, we are having a year which will be comparatively to last year, still pretty good. Let me ask you, though, about sectors, because here we just sat here and we read a couple of stories about the technology sector, which indicate a very significant and rapid change in expectations for these businesses and for the way that they're being viewed in capital markets. Technology companies have been a terrific source of advertising revenue in recent years as, as we've had these new businesses start up. Are you worried about that sector in particular in terms of uh, generating still strong revenue growth? When you look at the sector uh, and you see that um, there is uh, some uh, stock price w who are going down and falling in the free fall, uh, you, you should look also at what people are expecting. It is a sector which has been growing by 30 to 50 percent. And uh, when they are growing only by 25 percent or 15 percent, there is a disappointment. And then you see uh, the stock sinking. So uh, we should not take that sector as a barometer because uh, expectation in tech is very high. So when you have a double digit growth with 20%, which is huge, uh, it is a disappointment in that sector. So we, we, we have to be relatively uh, calm when we look at those numbers and uh, with a, a, a longer view for the time being, when uh, you look at the telcos and you look at all the people who are investing in advertising, 
the numbers are still pretty good. In terms of the factors which could drag the um, economy down and that outlook down as well, we've, we've, we've absorbed some extraordinary factors over the last couple of years. But actually, I think the markets and companies have absorbed the war in Ukraine very, very well as well. Do you have concerns that there's something else out there that is an outlier that could actually drag the outlook down? Or actually, is it just the things we already know, such as inflation, such as interest rates? The problem is that we are living in a permanent crisis. Since a few years, we, since in fact uh, uh, the beginning of the new millennium, yeah. uh, we had uh, the 9-11, then we have uh, uh, the subprime, then the economic crisis, the financial crisis, the pandemic, and now the war in Ukraine. So companies are used to adapt and to change and to make very fast decisions uh, uh, when they are confronted to crisis. And this is a huge change compared to the years of the 90s or before where a crisis was taking aback uh, almost everyone. So we, we are pretty quick to adapt. We are pretty quick to make uh, some uh, uh, strong decision protecting the people and protecting cash and uh, the activities. Uh, the, the key issue today is what will happen with war in Ukraine. And um, will it be something which will last uh, in, a, in a way which will be a little bit frozen and the kind of uh, w w peace which is not peace, war which is not war? Or will they continue at the same rhythm as today? If they continue at the same rhythm as today, we can expect that there will be shortage of uh, cereals, uh, wheat, oil, gas, everything. Uh, and we can expect that uh, price will go up dramatically and inflation will be hard to contain. If things are mastered or uh, the situation is slowing down a little bit, I think that mastering uh, inflation will be, I wouldn't say easy, because uh, inflation is never easy to, to control, but uh, will be manageable. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.